Imaginal Roots with host Mark Gerke is a podcast from Common Roots Rising. Through engaging conversations with creative leaders, we're exploring our community roots and connections as we imagine transformative new stories and culture into being. Hello and welcome to Imaginal Roots. Today we're getting to know Hanna Butkiewicz. I met Hanna through a spark of an idea Jane Hosh had shared with me to start a compost collection program in Wapaka. When I met with Hanna about this idea, I shared my interest in getting to know more about the work that Golden Sands Research Conservation and Development Council does in central Wisconsin. Hanna is the executive director of Golden Sands RCND. Today, we're getting to learn more about Hanna and her connection to the natural world. And we're going to explore Hannah's roots that led to her passion for nature and that has turned into a career in forest and wildlife ecology. Thank you for joining us today, Hannah. Can you tell me, where did you grow up? I grew up in Wapaka, Wisconsin. Actually, you know what? I didn't grow up right in Wapaka. I grew up north of Wapaka in rural Ogdensburg. I always defer to saying Wapaka because people know where Wapaka is versus Ogdensburg, which is an unincorporated village, um, which has less than 200 people. So I grew up north of Wapaka in Ogdensburg on a rural um, hobby farm. We had goats and chickens and we gardened and that's that's where my, my beginning started. Well, I, I have known where Ogdensburg is my entire life because my father grew up in Ogdensburg. And I, I used to go, I, I remember going fishing on the Ogdensburg pond when I was little. He would take me back and we, I grew up in rural Hortonville, okay, which is a little bit bigger than Ogdensburg. But anyway, I, um, yeah, I, it's where I my roots are from is Ogdensburg from my from my dad. So, so what was it like growing up in the rural countryside of Ogdensburg? I really loved um, growing up in in rural Wisconsin, and I actually am I'm I've actually come back to my roots. I am at the farmhouse that I grew up in when I was a kid. Despite traveling about and going off to school, I am back at the beginning and I'm back at the farm. And part of what I love about living in the rural um, in the rural area is that it's quiet. I love I love the peace and quiet. I love having the dark night sky to be able to see the stars. I like having the woods in my backyard where I can go out for a walk and hear the barred owls calling at night or or hear the howls of the coyotes. Um, it's it's just great to be in the countryside, but it doesn't have, although it doesn't have the convenience associated with living in the city, it's worth the extra 15-minute drive into town to go grocery shopping to have um, the benefits of rural life. Uh, yeah, I can... I relate with you very much on that. Um, we we're only actually five minutes outside of Wapaka, but I can only see one neighbor. It is super dark. It is super quiet, and I love it. it it's um, you know I I like 
going into the city for things and, and activities, uh, but I, I love the quiet, the dark, how much the moon is a, a part of when it's full moon time and how bright everything is and, and, and how oh, it's just, I, I appreciate being out in the quiet as well. Um, so growing up, when do you first remember recognizing your connection with nature? I, so my mom and dad really planted this conservation seed and love for the natural world right from the get-go. Um, growing up in, in Ogdensburg, we were always outside. And I remember as a kid, most of the other kids, my friends, when they had birthday parties, it was all about, it was about getting presents and, and being inside and and hanging out. And that was wonderful. But what I loved about my birthday celebrations as a kid is that my parents would have us outside in the woods searching for little goodie bags that um, the woodland fairies had hidden for us. And so they really developed this love for being outside with these little interactions, these positive interactions. And it was the same for like holidays. I remember with Easter, Rather than having the egg hunt in the house, they would spend the time stuffing um, plastic eggs with our neighborhood, um, not neighborhood, but our neighbors and hiding these eggs out in the woods. And we would have to go search for our colored eggs. And it, it was through these interactions that I really developed this love for nature. But I would also say that in addition to having those like where the motivation was finding candy and goodies, uh, I also developed this love for conservation when playing in the mud <laughs> with my my sisters. Growing up, we loved to take mud, add some water, and then coat ourselves. We loved it. It was it didn't gross us out. We liked to be connected, and despite the dirt and grit, otherwise we were out in the um, out in our prairie. Um, actually, it's a restored prairie and restored wetland area that my mom had worked on when um, she and my dad first bought the property but we would go out and search for tadpoles and frogs and go in the the creek and search for scud it was all about just getting our hands on things and experiencing the natural world directly not through a textbook not through videos um just directly hands dirty <laughs> and i loved every minute of it yeah that's, that's awesome sounds a bit like some of my experiences uh, growing up, and and I actually remember uh, Easter's um, having um, we we spent four years on Kauai, and we had so much fun with uh, a group of people that we met over there, and we had these Easter egg hunts in the Kauai jungle that was that were pretty amazing. So that experience, it with mud and nature and and um, finding things in in the forest how did how do you think that influenced your your journey and your growth through life so far i guess i've always felt that my experiences as a kid made me feel comfortable and enjoy my time outside and i always wanted to be able to incorporate being outside into 
my education and my my profession and what I do is is all related back to those early those early development. Hannah, can you tell me are there any other stories that you would like to share with me about your growing up years uh, in nature? So it started out with my my experiences on the farm, being outside searching for monarch butterflies and badger holes on our prairie. And then it, it evolved into experiences as a high school student. I worked for the Wapaka Biological Field Station under um, the, as a research assistant under the supervision of Robert Welch, who um, was my seventh grade biology teacher. And I helped out with restora- prairie restoration projects and invasive species removal projects. We did bird banding. I helped with Carner Blue Butterfly uh, population studies, as well as fish and turtle population studies. And I, I really feel like that experience as a high school student really helped to cement my love for working in the environment and, and making sure that I was always working with my hands. I liked Despite it being rainy or sunny or whatever, I, I really enjoyed the work. I, I didn't dread going to work. Some people get into this cycle of, you know, oh, I've got to go to work. I was ready to go to work every morning to work with, with the fish and the turtles. And I also had friends that were worked alongside me. So it was this companionship, this collaboration between um, other students and our teacher and then see being able to see the results like with the prairie and it's kind of fun to be able to go back to Bob's place now and see the work that I had done more than nine or nine years ago now um, but so after after my experiences with high school uh, during the last semester of my senior year I attended um, conserve school, which is a environmental education. Um, it was an environmental school that was based out of Eagle River, Wisconsin. And the property was, <laughs> was a huge and wonderful property. It was just, it was border, it bordered um, Sylvania Wilderness. So yeah, I attended conserve school the last semester of my senior year. Uh, because I was inspired to learn about and connect more with the environment and to find, and this experience really helped me to find my voice and recognize my connection with, with the out, with the outdoors. Um, Over 70% of our classes were taught outside and regardless of the weather, we were always told to come to class prepared to go outside. And, and that was, in the winter time. So I remember for my English and social studies class, we went out for a, a joint um, educational experience in Sylvania wilderness. We were where we were paddling around and portaging between the different lakes in Sylvania, learning about Lewis and Clark and some of the other explorers. Um, and, and that was really just wonderful. It was a wonderful experience. What was that program called that you were part of in, in high school? It was with the Wapaka Biological Field Station. He is hiring out students. 
to to help them with their development and to help them get connected with the environment and having these experiences because actually he he isn't a although he's not a teacher anymore he still is a teacher through this this work that he does with the Wapaka Biological Field Station which is based at his um, based at his residence. And is that program? Do you know if that's still happening? Yeah, he still he still hires on students. He actually had students. He's had students the last couple of years. Sophie helped out. Sophia, my youngest sister, helped out. Um, yeah, it's been something that he does every year. So that experience that you had in high school, where you had you actually got to work with nature and work in biology, work with work with carnivore butterflies. How important was that? to helping you take the next step into your learning? Oh, it was, it was incredibly important. I, I really feel like each of my experiences has just built upon the previous. I, I don't know that I would be in this position had I not had that experience. I think I would have likely gone into something with an environmental emphasis based on, you know, the foundation that my my parents had instilled in me, but I don't know if I don't know if my relationship and um, passion would be the same today had I not had that experience. After high school, I read that you decided to go to college for forest and wildlife ecology. So can you tell me a little bit about your desire to pursue this as a career? So college is kind of a funny story because I didn't actually go into school knowing what I wanted to do. Despite having this strong and this wonderful experience with with working with the Wapaka Biological Field Station and then also going to conserve school, I didn't have a strong um, understanding of what I should do with my professionally as a career, I was I was a bit paralyzed by my concern about making enough money in order to be able to support myself in the future, and and figuring out that balance between pa- passion <laughs> and pursuing something that you'll be able to support yourself with versus pursuing something. Um, I was interested in going on a medical school at one point or going on to veterinary school, but, and, and that was driven more by, um, I wouldn't even say that both of those experiences were, or both of those thoughts were driven by finances, more the medical field versus the veterinary field. And veterinary school was an interest because I just really love working with animals and, and trying to find solutions for um, relieving pain or um, just general care of animals. Um, but yeah, so I kind of floundered as far, I, I excelled with school, but I floundered, I, I was kind of bopping around between different ideas for what I wanted to actually go into. And it wasn't actually until my junior year where I decided, okay, I'm going to go into forest and wildlife ecology. And my intent was to get a degree in forest and wildlife ecology because of my wildlife interests, but I was planning on going on to veterinary school. 
And what actually kept me from going on to veterinary school was um, after I graduated, I still had to take the GRE. And this is something that I, I'm happy that I was uh, nervous about taking the GRE and it actually ended up keeping, I didn't take the GRE right away. And I was nervous about taking the GRE because I'm a perfectionist. And so I didn't end up going on to veterinary school and that provided me the time between the next couple of years before I started um, my graduate work to figure out and find my footing and figure out what really do I want to do with my life? What is my passion? Where do I want to see myself in five, 10, 15 years? And, and it was through those years that I, I spent my time as a waitress. I've bartended, I've worked as a, a, a certified nursing assistant, but all, all throughout one thing that remained consistent was that I always found myself getting involved in different activities outside doing conservation work, whether it was at my parents' property in Wapaka with invasive species control. We've, we have some issues with um, the lovely barberry, um, garlic mustard, and honeysuckle there, or it was uh, finding ways to get involved with bird banding back at the Wapaka Biological Field Station or hiking on the Ice Age Trail. Um, I always found myself going back to my roots and and figured out that that's what I wanted to do. I needed to find a way to get going. And it wasn't until actually the summer before I started graduate school where I, actually it wasn't the summer, it was the year before I started my graduate um, project or program where my previous mentor, Bob Welch, had reached out to me and had wanted to get me going. He saw an opportunity for me to get back to my roots and he wanted to help me um, sail the ship in the right direction, if you want to call it that. He helped me figure out a plan and got me connected with TWIN, which is the Timberwolf Information Network, which is um, they were looking to have somebody do some research for them on wolves in the central forests of Wisconsin and studying the summer diets of wolves in the central forest area. And so I started um, that research project the summer before I started my graduate program. During that same summer, I, well, summer slash spring, um, I was working on helping with bird banding. And it was during bird banding that I met my my graduate advisor. Uh, we started talking about my previous work, what I'd like to be doing. And it was a couple of, about a month and a half later, he said, Hannah, I've got an opportunity. You wanna go back to, you wanna go to grad school? <laughs> said, you're gonna have to take the GRE within two weeks and submit all your application materials and we can have you starting in fall. And so it was a big push while doing wolf research um, to, and working two other jobs to, to take the GRE and get started. But I'm really happy that I went back to my roots. I've reconnected with, with Bob and he helped connect me with the right people to keep me connected with working 
in the environment and with conservation. And specifically right now, I am a graduate student studying wildlife and getting, I'm pursuing my degree in wildlife at the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point. So yeah. I bounced around and had a lot of experiences and it's taken me a little bit to fi- figure out what I wanted to do. But that time that I took after graduating helped me to decompress from um, working really hard in my undergraduate education, but then provided clarity about where I wanted to, how I wanted to move forward with my life and finding my happiness. For those that don't know, because I don't know, and I'm not sure, are you saying you're GRE? What is this acronym that you were sharing? Because I, I'm, I'm not, I haven't experienced that. So I just want to make sure that anybody that's listening knows, what is this thing that you were not taking? It stands for the graduate records examination. So you seem to really, as you were sharing this answer about your experience, you seem to really light up when you talk about research. Um, You're getting to like study things and research animals and insects and things like that. So what what sparks your interest in research? I'm curious about everything. I like to ask questions and find answers to them. So being able to ask a question, collect data, and then be able to answer that question, I think is really cool, especially if it's a question that hasn't been asked or answered previously. Or even in the case of um, my, my wolf research, there have been questions that have been asked and answered about the summer diets of wolves in Voyagers National Park, but um, this hasn't been applied to the my study site where I was, the four packs that I was researching. And, and it's just kind of funny because research, you can do research on the computer, you can do research by having things in hand, and, and I like both aspects. I really do because there's just so much power. There's so much power in knowledge and there's so many connections and intricacies that are out there that we don't know about. It's this chance to discover (laughs) and that's pretty powerful. I think that's really cool. So the summer diet of gray wolves, and I'm reading this off of our, an upcoming event that you're going to be doing presentation on with Winchester Academy, which is based in Wapaka. Um, I have the brochure here. That seems like a really specific thing to research. So what interested you about the summer diet of gray wolves in central Wisconsin? It was mainly an interest in getting involved in research and um, adding another aspect to my resume to bolster myself, as, to basically prove myself as a, a worthy professional <laughs> for, for finding future, for future um, opportunities. But um, I really am interested and passionate about wolves. I know it's a very contentious subject or species, um, but I, I find them fascinating and I've been involved in howling surveys and tracking surveys and it's, you don't get to see them. You get to see what's, what they leave behind. Um, and that's kind of a, a neat thing that 
there's such neat creatures that are out there, yet we don't get to experience or have direct experiences with them. And the funny thing about my, my research with <laughs> some people might be thinking, okay, well, how did you actually study the summer diets of wolves? And <laughs> it's kind of a stinky situation and, and some that people who are, were, are not interested in wolves or not interested in research might have turned away, but me being the quirky me, um, I had to collect wolf scat. And so for people who don't know what scat is, that's, that's poop. <laughs> so I was studying the droppings of wolves and looking, I had to actually clean them so I could see what hair and bone fragments were were basically giving me an insight into what animal they had consumed in order to produce that, that pile of wonderfulness <laughs> <laughs> so this this opportunity to study the summer diet of gray wolves in central wisconsin have you actually been able to see any wolves on two occasions on two occasions i have and it was for very brief brief moments um it was fleeting one was uh one day when my husband Jacob and I had driven down to the study site and it was right around dusk when we were driving and um, we were actually headed, we were headed home and all of a sudden I'm driving and, and then I see something on the side and I just tensed up. I was like, there's a wolf. <laughs> I had a hard time like pulling the car over and turning around and we actually did get to turn around and see um, the wolf uh, go into the ditch and then it actually stood in at the edge of the ditch and an aspen stand for a couple of um, maybe 10 seconds before it went off and then so that was my first experience and and I still remember every second of it, like that excitement, but that anxious anxiety, the tension in my chest. I was so thrilled. And the other experience or the other time that I got to see a wolf was um, in the general, like it was pretty close to the same area. And this is a, an area where um, packs have some overlap between their territories and it, it goes across a, um a roadway so that it's an area that they're they're pretty frequently moving across but this was last winter it was actually on christmas eve <laughs> so it was like a christmas present for myself to see this other wolf that i was with a crew um, that was part of the canid howl project it was an international wolf bioacoustic study so we were looking at using audio from wolves um, for monitoring movements but we were driving down the road and I was again in the driver's position and I saw a wolf on the other side of the road looking at me and it was just beautiful it was a very big it was a very big wolf and unfortunately for the rest of the crew in the car they were all either dozing off or spacing out they missed it and I was the only one on, for that whole, for our research project that got to see a wolf, despite all of us being out in the territories 
from eight in the morning till after four o'clock in the evening. Um, so it was a very special moment. And because you don't get to see them often, it just makes it that much more of a, you know, it's a special occurrence. And I'll hold on to those memories for <laughs> forever. Well, maybe those those wolves were curious about who's going around and collecting my scat. And well, who is this interesting person, a human, that, that's like collecting, collecting scat? So how do you actually go about finding wolf scat? I, so for wolf scat, I was driving roads of their territory, within their territories and opportunistically finding them um, on the main road. So in the territories, it's mostly like forest roads that I'm driving. So it's, they're not heavily, they don't have high traffic. Um, and they're, most of them are dirt or some type of gravel. Anyways, you drive them and you opportunistically pick them up. When you see it, yeah, stop, you check it out. And I actually had to measure the size of each of the scats that I found in order to be able to differentiate whether it was a wolf or another um, another species like a coyote or another, yeah. It was mainly figuring out if it was a small wolf scat or a coyote versus like a clearly defined, okay, if it's greater than 25 millimeters, then it's a wolf. Wolf, yeah. Cool. Well, um, Mark, you'll be you'll be surprised. You can tell when you're driving out of the road in front of you if there's a wolf scat because they're <laughs> they're quite big. <laughs> oh, okay. Really interesting. Um, I maybe I've never seen one. I've seen bear scat on our land, but I, I don't I don't know. I've I, maybe someday you'll have to teach me the difference between wolf and coyote because there are things there are scats that i see sometimes but uh, my eyes aren't quite peeled that i can be driving down the road and be like whoa there's wolf scats so you you must be you must have specially trained wolf scat eyes then i would definitely say that my ability to spot wolf feces on the roadways has improved over the past two (laughs) summers because I was out driving around looking for scat um, every week from um, May through August. So once a week, I would go out and drive for over six, about six and a half hours on these roads looking for wolf scat. And I, so you train yourself to look <laughs> for it. I, I, I so appreciate that you are just like, I can tell that this is fun for you. You, you seem like this is like, yeah, I want to go out and I want to drive around in the forest on these f- forest roads and look for wolf scat. That's like fun for you, right? It is because it's more than just, it's like the experience of driving around is more, it's about more than just finding wolf scat. It's about seeing the other animals that are out, whether it's like a Blanding's turtle or painted turtle or a large or some mega snapping turtles that I would see or the various snake species or even just see, okay, this part of the woods, they're managing and I can see that they are doing some type of a cut for providing early successional habitat or early successional 
cover for um, certain species. So it, it it's a all encompassing kind of experience. It's not just it's not just one track. Yeah, I I I I think it's great. I appreciate your enthusiasm for collecting wolf scat, it, it, and I think I kind of understand. You know, if some woman is driving around in my territory looking at my scat, I'd be like, who are you? What, what are you doing? So, you know, the wolf might say, hey, I'm checking you out too. Well, that, I mean, it could have been. I say I the, the road that I saw the two on was a busier road that I, I wasn't looking actively looking for it on because there's so much traffic and, um, if there were any, they would have gotten picked up on somebody on somebody's unfortunate tire. <laughs> so, but they wolves do leave their feces and they will urinate on their territory boundaries that they occupy and monitor um, as a way to to communicate with other packs in the area that hey, this is my this is my space. <laughs> enter at your own risk <laughs> yeah and right and so so they're like who's this young woman that's messing with my boundary markings right maybe i've always wondered that but i think there is quite a bit there's a significant amount of scat that was left um th- that i hadn't picked up because it wasn't on the roads it would have been as far as maintaining their territory it's the scat near nations that are, are around on the perimeter i was driving in internally so that those droppings are important can i share another fun little tidbit so part of the reason i also love going out was one i got to bring my my dogs in the car with me so i had my companions and i also had my honey jacob he was he would frequently join me the first summer but then this last summer he was with me every week uh, he had his camera. He was ready, <laughs> for, ready to take a picture of a wolf or anything. But um, so the companionship, it was a great time for us to bond together and bonding with the dogs. I love my dogs. They're my children. And and the experience with going out in these territories, it, in addition to look for looking for scat, I'm also looking for tracks because that's another sign that they've left behind. And, and I remember there was one section on um, my route that I knew I could count on finding tracks. It was a part that unfortunately somebody had disturbed the side of a road by with their truck or ATV or UTV. And so it created the sand pit, but the sand pit, drew in a lot of attention from wildlife, whether it was um, from bobcats, coyotes, wolves, and I even saw bear, bear tracks there too. And, and that's pretty, it's pretty cool to be able to say, I'm here now, they were here, and, and to see the direction that they're going in and you just, like you get a little glimpse into their, their life. That's neat. Yeah. And so then, Winchester Academy is going to have you as a guest on April 19th, where you can share with others besides the people that are listening to this show 
a little glimpse into the wolf life. So just real briefly, what can people, why should people tune in on April 19th with Winchester Academy and hear your story? I guess I would just like to say, you know, like if people are interested in learning more about wolves and different methods for researching and learning more about their habits, you know, they should tune in um, and, and support and to learn about what a Wapaka alumni is doing. I think it's nice for people to, um, to be able to learn about the research and work that other, that Wapaka alumni are doing. Yeah, and Win- Winchester Academy has a lot of great programs. This particular spring, I know they're going to be virtual still, um, but there you, you can definitely check out what Winchester Academy has coming up. I was talking with you a few weeks ago because I made this connection with you um, about composting. Uh, Jane Hosh is the one that said, oh, I think Hannah would be interested in this composting thing because another friend of ours, um, uh, Sandra, who also went to conserve school, which I don't know if you, you met her, but um, she's like so she went with, in Sophie's class. She had mentioned in a survey that we did for the Wapaka community and what we would like to see created greater, that there should be more recycling happening. And I discovered that you were a big recycler. You probably, I'm sure you still are a big recycling uh, advocate. But can you tell me a little bit about the story of what you were trying to do to get more recycling happening in Wapaka? My pursuit of looking into composting and recycling came from um, a little bit of research I was doing about plastic. I don't remember the first, actually I do remember what caught my eye. It was a post on Facebook that somebody had shared that had picked up a piece of plastic from, that had been in the ocean and it was like from 1983 or something like that. It was a Yo Play yogurt and um and they had found it in the 2000s. So for it to still be in that condition and floating around in the ocean was a big concern for me. And that my interest in, okay, what's going on, um, really prompted me to do research on, you know, the level of plastic and toxins in, our, in the ocean and, and, I actually had tried to, and I still tried to do my best, but I had tried cutting out using plastic completely because it ends up in, um, it ends up in our landfill. It's just, it's a one, a lot of things are just a one use, one use product. You buy a, you buy, you buy your groceries, you put it in a plastic bag, you use it, most people toss it out or it ends up getting, um, even if it's, properly disposed of uh who's to say your garbage bag couldn't rip in the back of a garbage truck and then it could be to blow out and it could damage the environment somehow whether it's from um, an animal ingesting it and and i really wanted to try and make myself more aware of my impact my footprint um that I was leaving behind because it was important to me because I'm, 
it's kind of my mantra. I want to be able to do good. <laughs> I want to be able to leave the world a better place. And I wanted to be able to contribute. And although I tried to cut out plastic, I, even if you cut out plastic, you still, even with buying produce, you got to think about where your produce came from and how much fuel it took to get that produce to you. And so I even tried just sourcing everything locally and, and you find yourself just your options. <laughs> it's just getting narrower and narrower with what you're able to actually eat and um, support yourself on. I mean, it's even as simple as buying toilet paper. If you want to try and avoid buying toilet paper that's packaged in plastic, you have to buy, we buy Scott's and it's paper towel or um, toilet paper that's wrapped in paper. So at least you can use the paper, either you can recycle it or you could use it. We burn wood at home to heat the house, but we could use it for a fire starter. There are more uses for it, but more importantly, it's not necessarily going back or going to a landfill and occupying space. Um, but and it's the same thing with compost. A lot of a lot of food. We have a high amount of food waste, and you see it especially in like the restaurant industry. I really saw it in the restaurant industry, and it was concerning. It's like there's so much that is just going into the garbage, and then that garbage is just going to the landfill. So one, we're not using all of our meat or vegetables that we are putting energy into producing. Um, and then it's just getting, it's not even being consumed and, and converted. It's just being wasted and lost. <laughs> it's taking energy and, um, yeah, it's just completely moving it from the system. And that was concerning. And I, so with composting, the nice thing is that a lot of stuff can be composted. And, and for me at home, we like to compost things so we can create fertilizer our garden and and rather than having all this extra weight in our garbage we've been able to significantly reduce our our waste by just taking out orange peels apple cores um napkins or pick towel that would just you know you dry your hands off that can just go into the, the compost and be those it can be reused as far as composting goes I was already practicing at home, but I wanted to be able to share my ideas with others about composting. And one of the ways I was trying to start, or one of the things I was trying to start was um, looking into a composting program in Wapaka and working with the um, restaurant uh, in the area to compost and then working with farmers or other, other people who could then had space for um, housing the compost and, and working with it afterwards. Um, I didn't get I didn't get too far on my own, and fortunately, I've had the the ability to connect with you, Mark, about this because now I recognize that there are other people who are interested in in the same things that I'm interested in, and and together, once you start farming this tribe to, to get things going, it's easier. It's easier to, when you've got the support of other community members um, going forward. But regarding the recycling program, I I lived um, 
above the Riverview Park down in, um, in Wapaka. And I was disappointed to see that we only have trash bins and we only have trash bins along Main Street. And so we're only providing one option for people. And at the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point there, we have more than just one option. There's recycling the paper, there's, we have compost bins and we have garbage and there's recycling for glass and aluminum too. So it's all separate. And when you give people the option and you teach them about the importance of composting or recycling, Oftentimes, it doesn't take much effort to change from putting your your can of so your soda can in the garbage to just putting it in the aluminum um, um, canister. And so, right now, we only have one option that we're providing people, and people are more apt to just dispose of their recyclable materials in the garbage rather than take it home and properly dispose of it or finding a recycling bin. And um, I actually had worked and communicated, and I'm still hoping that it's going to happen, but I had wanted to see recycling bins be put up next to each of these um, garbage canisters so that we were giving people this option to recycle instead of throwing things away. And this is more of a conversation for you and I, Mark, but like I had mentioned in our conversation a couple of weeks ago, I had talked to one of the council members and they were encouraging me to put together a presentation and go before council and, and request that they, they make the adjustment. But the hard thing is, is that you've got different entities that are responsible for different garbage bins and you need to go to the right one. So it's like, you have to, it can be hard to figure out who to talk to. So for like the garbage bins in the parks, that's the parks department, the garbage on the city property. Okay. That's the city's problem or that's the city that you need to talk to. And, and for like with the um, garbage bin. So one, one of the sources that I had tried to also make a change in where the, the at gas stations that most times people or they just have garbage available for and maybe, maybe cardboard, maybe they do some cardboard um, recycling, but those are high traffic areas that um, could use this second or alternate option. And if you pr help people and you provide them the education on it, people are, are usually open, open to making the change. I do have some good news to share with you about composting. I think there's going to be four or five or six restaurants that are going to be doing. So Sandra and Sam have stepped forward and they want to do it. They they have um, three acres of, of and, and a new a new little farm. They said they should, they do they sell at the farm market in the summer. Sandra was the farm market manager two years ago for in Wapaka. She also went to conserve school with your sister. And Sandra is the one who said, I wish there were recycling bins in downtown Wapaka. Why have things being thrown out? And it's like echo. It's like, this is what Hannah just said. So, um, yeah, so the compost program, 
Little Fat Gretchen is on board. Sandra and Sam want to start it. We've had two meetings already with Kelly Adlington, who runs the Stevens Point composting program. I don't know if you happen to see the post on our website. Um, She recently posted that in the last year, the Stevens Point composting program took 30,000 pounds of organic food waste out of the landfill. And then it gets composted either at White Feather Organics or Rising Sand Organics. And she's looking to expand. So she has been super helpful with us. Um, We had a a great meeting last week. And Sandra and Sam have uh, stepped forward and said, we want to at least get a pilot program going. Sandra has worked in the restaurant industry in downtown Wapaka as well. And she's like, there's too much stuff getting thrown away. And so... It's happening, and we have three locations to compost it at, even if they can't compost it all. We have our farm here uh, up north of Wapaka. Jane Hosh, with her her um, Lambs Corner Renewable Energy uh, Development, wants to compost there. And we're just getting started. So um, there's some logistics that we have to work out, but honestly, we are at minimum, there's going to be a test program that's starting up as soon as it gets warm enough and as soon as we can have outside water. Then we have to figure out what how to clean buckets in the when it's hot cold, but that's that's going to happen. So, so I thank you for that. And on the recycling front, it'd be kind of cool if we could also take that on again. I, I think that if if we can get some community members interested, and maybe Sandra is the one again that we have to say, hey, you want to help? Maybe Hannah wants to help. Maybe Jane can get involved again. There. Um, Wapaka this summer is going to be going through a downtown streetscape redesign and maybe we still could get some recycling bins coming in after those beautiful new streets are redone in in Wapaka so I look forward to that and I would I would be happy to see what we can do to cut through uh, and find out what we can do to bring more recycling awareness into Wapaka. I, I think it would be a, value, a valuable thing for us to have. So you you mentioned a little bit before about your motivation and, you know, wanting to help, wanting to do good in the world. So what continues to stroke your passion and inspire, and inspire you towards greater service in the world? I just want to, I want to make the world a better place and, and I want to find a way that my way I live day to day, including my profession is going to satisfying that goal of making the world a better place. I mean, it's, it's a bit cliche, but, but it's true. (laughs) I can't get away from it. It's, It's the fact. Okay. I want to be happy and proud of how I'm conducting myself and and living my life as ethically as I can and being conscientious of the impacts of my actions. So if we dared to create forward from what we tr- really, truly want for our reality and our world, not based on or fuel, fueled by what we don't want, what would you dare to create forward? Go ahead. I guess I want I want to share my passion for conservation and with everyone 
with the community members and, and help them to understand that we're all part of this greater community that encompasses the soil, the water, the animals, everything. And, and we're not separate from it. So we need to start thinking about our role that we play in this larger community and making sure we're, we're not negatively impacting or trying to reduce our impact to the other, other members of the community. I really wanna, I really like to focus on this idea of building community and collaboration, developing these bridges. Like there's this disconnect between, like there's another me, like not saying that Sandra is like the same, but, but there's this disconnect. I didn't know that she, I, I was not aware that she was out there and was having these same thoughts that I was having. And, and it's having these conversations with community members and stepping outside of your comfort zone and making these new connections. That's really important for moving forward and getting things done. Because to, like we're stronger together. <laughs> That's how I think about it. I understand that you are the new executive director for Golden Sands. Research Conservation and Development Council. So relative to that, I'm going to ask you a question about nature. So in the landscape of your mind and what you'd like to see Golden Sands be super successful with in the, in the future, what does a more beautiful landscape of nature look like? I just really think of more beautiful. I, I think there's... You know, you can talk about like the aesthetic beauty of something. And so there's an aesthetic image that I have of, of nature that I'd like to see. But, but I really think it comes down to just working with one another. Like my, my image for the future is to have people working with one another across, across these boundaries and divisions that have been created and and working together to improve our communities and our landscape and just thinking about things at that communal regional level rather than always about ourselves stepping away from what's in my best interest to thinking about what's in the community's best interest I noticed um, I've been doing a little research on Golden Sands because and and really my connection with Golden Sands uh, well originally started I, I met um, Josh um, very very briefly at an event called CoopCon last November in Stevens Point and we didn't you know it was there was a lot of people and I, I didn't really meet him meet him I just heard well what is this Golden Sands thing and I think I looked it up real quick and at that point whatever I inquired about we didn't have enough land um, for whatever thing that we talked about briefly and I'm on to 500 other projects all the time too and then um, my friend Rachel uh, Rachel Boressa um, who also works with Golden Sands I met her before she started working with Golden Sands at the well, Wapaka Farm Market, and I didn't really realize all the things that Golden Sands did until I kind of 
started getting deeper into this project with Common Roots Rising and trying to look at what is going on in the regional community. And I literally, I watched the movie go um, Kiss the Ground back in, I think it was in October of 2020. And that's all about regenerative agriculture. And I didn't know the term regenerative agriculture. I knew permaculture. I, I'm literally actually have been doing regeneration on my own land since I've had it, but I didn't, I didn't know that term. So I reached out to Rachel and I said, what's going on in the area? I have no idea. I've been at the farm markets as a vendor talking to other farmers, but we never go there. <laughs> and it turned into this, I think we need to connect and figure out what else is happening. And when it, so back to Golden Sands, when I, when I started researching and, and I've met with you about composting, but then it turned into a, talking about Golden Sands because I wanted to understand Golden Sands better, I really continued to see this idea or the story about partnering, cooperating, and collaborating. I, I feel that that seems to be a key focus. I, I realize that you have four primary focus areas with Golden Sands, and we can get into that in a future episode, but this whole idea of working together, partnering, collaborating, and cooperating can you speak to that a little more? That's what Golden Sands is based off of. We were a regional conservation nonprofit that serves the central sands area, so central Wisconsin. We have 13 different counties that are within our service area, and, and we provide um, conservation services to each of these counties and we, um, in sustainable agriculture, related to clean water, healthy forests, and, and wildlife. And, and it's all about breaking down these boundaries that, that we like to establish that aren't actually physical boundaries between um, agencies, organizations, whether it's at the federal level, the state level, the local level. There is such a missed opportunity that I feel in this world when these boundaries are created in these organizations or boundaries in uh, a municipalities, cities, what have you. Plants, wildlife don't exist in those boundaries. Um, nature does not exist in those boundaries. We, I feel, have a greater responsibility to figure out how to collaborate and cooperate and, part and, and partner with the things that are out there the activities and the organizations that could benefit from this collective energy of mutual support. So I am impressed with what I have been reading on the Golden Sands website. And I, I guess I what I can speak to, because I'm interested in so many different things, I'm basically interested in all four pillars of the things you're doing, plus I'm interested in things that you guys don't do with Golden Sands. So I'm constantly looking. This initiative with Common Roots Rising is it, it's it's hard because for me to absolutely define it in somebody's linear terms and put it in a box could limit this idea of the relationship and the connection that we have with nature, we have with the greater environment, and we have with each other living on this planet to take care of. That's what I really like to be able to do is find this common ground between people, not thinking about politics, you know, 
what are you interested? What do you like to do? You like, okay, so you can have, you can have people on both sides of the political spectrum that both love to hunt. They both love to care about their land. And, and for me in my position, I'm trying to find ways to connect people regardless of where they're on on the spectrum and, and to have them work together. And, and I think finding that common thread is, is the critical part. What, what do these people have in common? What's going to connect them? And it's kind of like a puzzle, which is kind of fun because, you know, you may have two different types of personalities in the room, but what can we do to get them to, to communicate and collaborate with one another? It's kind of, yeah, I, I like it. It's navigating those tricky situations. It's like going down rapids in your kayak or canoe. Okay, how am I going to navigate this boulder and prevent the kayak or canoe from um, taking on water? Um, but, but I, you know, I think it's fun to be able to connect people that are very different with one another and to help them establish their community. and. And that's at a local level, but also connecting like within Golden Sands, I think it's important to connect people with their um so with their neighbors, with their the municipality, so their their city and their officials that are <laughs> you know enforcing things, I think at the local, state and federal level. So working across with landowners with and different agencies. I, I think it's powerful. It's cool. One of the things that I love about my position with Golden Sands as the executive director, and even before I became the executive director in my previous capacity with Golden Sands, my network went from, you know, being what it was to just exploding because I was in charge of uh, communicating and connecting with all these different landowners in 12 different counties. I was in charge of connecting with all of the land conservation department, county conservationists. So that's at the you know the local level, and then there were the natural resources conservation um, service district conservationists that I was connecting with, uh, Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Partners for Fish and Wildlife um, Program. So it's just like it just exploded, and I can I have so many different people to tap into to say, hey, what do you think about this? And and it's great that I have that that community of professionals in addition to the landowners, but those professionals in this network, I can lean on them to try and to develop these projects that benefit the communities that we all serve. So we're uh, accomplishing the goals of everybody from the landowner, to up to the federal level and that that's really cool it's powerful i like working with people and getting to talk to them and and i i like to be able to share my story so people understand and can relate to me on an emotional level um and then i like to hear their story and find out ways that we can work together and move forward with whatever whatever task or even if there's not even a task that we need to accomplish, just to to hear about everybody else's stories, and I think it's powerful to powerful to share one another's stories. 
Thank you, Hannah, for sharing your story. So can you tell us, where can we find out more about your work with Golden Sands? My work with Golden Sands, we have a website that you can go to. If you just type in Golden Sands Resource Conservation and Development Council into Google, um, you'll be able to find our website. And we have lots of information about us. You can read about each of the staff members' little bios that we have and um, about all the different projects that we have going on. And um, you can also check us out on Facebook. You can um, look up our page. We have a page that we post about different projects that we've got going on or events that we're hosting. And it's a great opportunity for for people to um, engage with us. And we're always open for ideas about future projects. We like to hear from the constituents that we serve about the needs that they have and they, the gaps that they want to be filled or the bridges that they want help developing. Hannah, can you tell us about the work you're doing with your graduate research? Well, I wanted to say so I'm really proud of like Golden Sands and the wolf stuff, but I'm really, I'm really proud of my work that I've done with my graduate research. And I, so my graduate research is based off of Snapshot Wisconsin, which is a one of the Department of Natural Resources programs that's based off of citizen science. Uh, it's a citizen science project. So each um, within each county, there are different survey blocks that volunteer landowners can host trail cameras on their property. And these trail cameras are set up to take um, images of wildlife that are passing in front of them. And then that data, that imagery is shared with um, Snapshot Wisconsin, and then they're able to use it for researching. And my my graduate project is looking at um, deter- determining a hen to poult ratio in Wisconsin for wild turkeys, and a poult is a, a young turkey. But seeing whether or not Snapshot Wisconsin can be an effective method for monitoring the reproductive status of our wild turkeys. We per- we previously had um, like current methods for monitoring wild turkeys include um, flush counts and radio telemetry studies, but those can be costly and very in time and money. Um, but and then in Wisconsin, we had previously. Um, monitored reproduction through the 10-week brood survey, but that's been since continued. So there's like this gap um, and Wisconsin needs to find new methods for developing um, ways to study wild turkey reproduction. And I'm trying to figure out whether or not Snapshot Wisconsin is an effective method. And so there's lots of cool opportunities um, for landowners throughout the state to get involved in citizen science. And I would encourage everybody to apply that has property to apply for hosting a trail camera because you get to see what's on your land and then you get to share that information um, with Snapshot Wisconsin. Did you really look through 50,000 trail cam photographs with your research assistant? Is that true? I actually looked through tens of thousands more. (laughs) 
we we and this is just a wild turkey so we classified and reviewed all of wisconsin's um all of the snapshot wisconsin triggers of wild turkeys from april through august in the years of 2016 through 2020 so we're up to 90,000 triggers and the trigger is composed of three photos that are taken in rapid succession after motions detected by a trail camera. So we're actually, we've actually reviewed over 270,000 <laughs> trail camera images. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. I, I, I did actually find you under Snapchat Wisconsin. I Googled you and I was like, what is this project? turkeys wild turkey pulses says so 207 so i would love because this is an ongoing thing you're working on right now right yes mm-hmm. okay i i would love to chat with you about this in as much detail as you want specifically to your your um research um in the future i think that would be it would be great i'm i'm, I'm interested to hear um, what you're learning from looking at 270,000 wild turkey photographs. I'd be happy to share it with you. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. This was, it was great getting to know you. I look forward to learning more and future episodes where we can explore Golden Sands and, and all these beautiful partnering, collaborating opportunities. There are a lot of things coming up, um, so you definitely go check the Golden Sands website. Also, if you are in the Wapaka area and follow the Winchester Academy, Hannah will be doing her program Summer Diet of the Gray Wolves in central Wisconsin. And I know that's going to get recorded too. So even if you can't catch it live on April 19th, you will be able to catch it. I believe it'll be on Win TV. So thank you very much. And we look forward to more. Imaginal Roots with host Mark Gerke is a podcast from Common Roots Rising. Through engaging conversations with creative leaders, we're exploring our community roots and connections as we imagine transformative new stories and culture into being. Mm-hmm.